Thank you for joining us in our study of the book of Genesis, entitled The Origin of Reason. Now, we're moving along to chapter 2, and we're going to start seeing some contradictions that people want to point out. And actually, there's no disagreement here. And from certain circles within Christianity, the liberal persuasion, those who do not hold to the veracity and authenticity of the Word of God, want us to believe that, indeed, there are two counts of creation, and so, therefore, there is a contradiction, and it's a false notion. It's not a matter of having to learn to get along with these liberal minds and liberal thinkers. We do not have to embrace one word that they teach. As a matter of fact, we need to stand in opposition to this line of teaching 100%. There's no embracing it. There's no being friendly with it. You don't bring your enemy into your house and comfort him and let him rest. God begins to move forward in explaining how man was created here in chapter 2. And it's a move forward in history, not a correction. It's not a retelling of the second creation. There's a lot of guys that have a lot of degrees that want you to believe these things. And I don't know why it is, but people, when they start getting up in these degrees and the PhDs, their minds seem to just take off. We're learned, and therefore we have a right to step in and tread where man should not tread. Chapter 2 pertains to the details of man's creation, not the minutia, but the details, some of the details. Chapter 1 touched on the creation of man in general, while chapter 2 delves into the details. Man's place on the center stage right now for all of us to see and examine and understand. And from this point on, he becomes the focal point of all of Scripture. Now, these things have been said in our previous study. One thing I want to underline here in that I hope that you get into your understanding is that we were created not to do. We were created to be. We were created to be in fellowship with God, to be his friend. We're created for fellowship with him. And everything else that we do is a result of that initial fellowship. The reason behind creation was that God wanted man to fellowship with him. Now, we're going to stop here and address something, some real questions that need to be answered now because later on you're going to be hit with these if you're trying to logically work your way through Scripture and to study it and analyze it. The big question comes up as to where Moses got his information. Now, Moses is the author of this book, and again, we have to address the fact that even that's disputed, but we hold to the fact that Moses is the author of Genesis, and it's obvious. He wasn't present there. No, he was not. And he's not presenting any first-hand accounts of what happened. So questions arise regarding the truth of what's written. And what uh, the devil commonly says is, has God really said? And so that comes up here in the minds of these great PhDs and all the learned people who want to question Scripture. They ask the question, has God really said? Or is this really just a collection of mythological tales that have been compiled over time? Some seminaries are teaching that this indeed is the case and that Moses' name was used to give the book credibility. Now, I don't know if you know much about writing and publishing and how that world works, but there is a man named James Patterson. James Patterson is a noted author of novels. What he has begun to do is take novels that other people have written and put his name on it along with their name so that he can give them, the new authors, credibility. And so that's what a lot of people are saying has happened here, is that somehow Moses' name has gotten attached to this information 
so that it would lend credibility to what's being written. We live in a pseudo-scientific age, and Genesis has become the most attacked book of the Bible, particularly the first 11 chapters. Liberal theology has taken aim and is making every effort to discredit this book and thereby create doubt as to the veracity of what we're reading. Has God really said? They're joining into the chorus that the devil wrote. Major attacks have been made on the authorship of the book, and a lot of people have questioned if Moses actually was the author at any point. Such attacks are coming from both sides of the aisle, so to speak, and professing Christians with liberal leanings or secular scholars are bringing these questions to the fore. Genesis is a foundational anchor that is a gateway to understanding the balance of Scripture. Now, we need to understand that. Genesis is the anchor to the balance of Scripture. If shadows can be cast on the writings here, then the balance of Scripture, which relies on the book of Genesis and the history presented, is called into question. And it's clear. Moses is the author. And I want to go over and you know verify that and prove it rather than just make a statement. But let's be clear in this, that Moses is the author. The following information that I'm going to give to you has been provided by Answers in Genesis and authored by a guy named Bodie Hodge along with a guy named Terry Mortensen. They provide clear evidence that Moses did indeed author the first five books of the Bible. If you look in Exodus 17 verse 14, Exodus 24 verse 4, Exodus 34 verse 27, Numbers 33, verses 1 and 2, Deuteronomy 31, 9 through 11, you will see that, indeed, Moses put his imprint, and Moses wrote this book. There's a guy named Velhausen that rejects this, and in his rejection to the Mosaic authorship, nowhere does he discuss the biblical evidence that's presented in the verses I just gave you. It's easy to deny Mosaic authorship if you ignore the evidence. But it's not honest scholarship when you start doing that. That means you're, uh, you're coming to Genesis with a preconceived agenda. I want Genesis to say this, and I want to see this, rather than reading it and seeing what it has to say. We also have the witness of the rest of the Old Testament, not just Moses alone, but Joshua 1.8, chapter 8, 31-32, 1 Kings 2, verse 3, 2 Kings 14, verse 6, 21, verse 8, Ezra 6, verse 18, Nehemiah 13, 1, Daniel 9, 11 through 13, and Malachi 4, verse 4. Now, I know this might be boring to hear, but if you have a chance, take note of these things and look them up and consider them. The New Testament also gives us very clear testimony in Matthew 19, verse 8, John 5, verse 45 through 47, uh, John 7, verse 19, Acts 3, 22, Romans 10, verse 5, Mark 12, verse 26. Now these, these verses all point back to the Old Testament as being authored by Moses. Now we do believe that all scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And the verbal plenary inspiration of scripture starts with Genesis 1, 1 and goes through the last verse in Revelation. Now, the divisions of the Old Testament were clearly in place in the Jewish mind. You have to put everything in context of time, when it was written, why it was written. 
So clearly, in the Jewish mind, long before the time of Jesus, the law of Moses, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, then you have the prophets, which are the historical and prophetic books, and then you have the writings, the poetic books of Job, Psalm, Proverbs, etc. And these are divisions in the Old Testament. So when Jesus referred to the law of Moses, the Jews understood exactly what he was referring to. They didn't have to back up and say, well, which ones did Moses write? We read in Exodus 17, verse 14, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book, and recount it in the hearing of Joshua. So the Lord is telling Moses to write. Then you look at Numbers 33, verse 2. Now Moses wrote down the starting points of their journey at the command of the Lord. These are their journeys. So we have historical writings here that Moses wrote. And there, it's not questioned. It says, therefore, be very courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. The Jews understood that this was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, so on and so forth. And then you go into the New Testament, just for an example, we'll look at that. And Jesus said to them, see that you tell no one, but go your way. He's talking to a Jewish man now. Go your way and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. That's in Matthew 8, verse 4. And Jesus there is referring to Leviticus 14, verse 1 through 32. So Jesus gives credibility and credence to the Old Testament and particularly to the writings of Moses, the law of Moses. In Luke 16, verse 29, Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. This is when uh, the rich man was asking the Lord to be gracious to some of his friends. And, and the Lord said, look, they have Moses and the prophets, and you let them hear them. And if they won't listen to them, then they won't listen to an angel, if the angel even went down and talked to them. So the Lord gives credibility to the writings of Moses. Then in John, uh, in John 5, 46, uh, it says, for if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Now go back and we're going to go through Genesis. How did he write about Jesus? That's neat, but he's given credibility to Moses as the author of the book of Genesis. So you're going to have people who come up and deny this. And I want you to take note of some of these references and understand it, read it, study it. For example, John 7.22 and Acts 15.1 refer to Moses giving the doctrine, the teaching of circumcision. And then John reveals that this came in Genesis with Abraham. Nevertheless, it's credited to Moses because it was recorded in his writing. Then the New Testament, as we just saw, attributes all the books from Genesis through Deuteronomy as being the writings of Moses. So when people come up and they want to attack the authority and the authorship of Moses uh, in the first five books of the Old Testament, it's an attack on the truthfulness and the veracity of Scripture as a whole. And so if you embrace this, then you then become the judge of the Word of God. And you have to be the one who determines what God said. Well, that's not the way things work. You go to Scripture, it's a very holy book for the Christian. Indeed it is. It's the Word of God to us. This is close reasoning. And in considering the authorship of Scripture, you have to understand who wrote what. And it's not a loosely compiled conglomeration of opinions of several men that served to provide us with an idea or concept, trying to reason our way through to how things got here. We're not students of the Big Bang 
were not students of evolution. There is an abundance of biblical witness provided that Moses wrote the book of Genesis, the Pentateuch, the law. And as to qualifications, there's no question as to Moses' uh, qualifications. He was educated in the royal schools of Egypt. That's in Acts 7, verse 22. And read the history. It was a firsthand witness. He was a firsthand witness to everything that's recorded in Exodus all the way through to Deuteronomy. The Egyptian influence in the book is evident. People who studied it remarked that it does have all the earmarks of an Egyptian influence. And also, as a prophet of God, Moses was the appropriate recipient of the written words or oral traditions of the patriarch, extending from Adam through to his own day, which the Holy Spirit could use to guide Moses as he wrote the inerrant text of Genesis. There is no other ancient Hebrew who is better qualified than Moses to write what we now know as Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Nobody was more qualified. So the Lord put Moses in place to do a certain task, prepared him, and then used him to do what he did. There are various indicators throughout the book of Genesis that certain different data was used to explain particular periods that are described in the book. And this would mean that Moses gathered information about it and organized this information into a legible history. Why would he do that? He wanted his people to know, right? Moses was given a desire by God to inform his people of what God has done. There's 11 divisions that are found in the book, and these divisions in the book are called toldot in Hebrew. And that means this is the account of, toldot means this is the account of Abraham, Noah, Shem, and so on. The use of the toldot, which is a generational explanation, of things serves to unite the book as a history reflecting key events and key people from the beginning of creation all the way through to Moses. And we believe that it's more than likely that Moses worked with written history. And if you consider Genesis 5.1, which says this is the book of the generations of Adam, the word book, or sefer, pronounced safer actually in Hebrew, actually means a book or a scroll. This is the book of Adam. This is something that is written, and it's a written document. Scholars get just befumbled, uh, befoozled with this. They, they get confused due to their inability to concede that Adam could actually write legibly and intelligently and transfer information through the written words, such as a concept. He can't do that. Adam was supposedly like a caveman. Where did he get this knowledge? It doesn't fit the idea of evolution. It doesn't fit the idea of a caveman. So anything that says about Adam being intelligent is dismissed by a lot of the scholars. To suggest that early man was ignorant and lacked ability to reason and formulate concepts and ideas is strict conjecture. It's an opinion. However, when you read scripture, the second man born, Cain, could build a city. Now, taking Cain as an example, it takes a great deal of ability to organize and form government. It takes a great deal of knowledge to know how to build. Six generations pass. In the Bible, a generation is seen as 40 years. And then we find people were making musical instruments. And they figured out how to make oars and make farming implements. In six generations. 
Then Noah constructed a huge boat that was big enough for his family and thousands of animals. And these animals, Noah and his family, were able to survive in this boat during the, the flood. And this boat also had to be large enough to store feed that would be needed for these animals. It had to have a waste management system. It had to have fresh water. And this was no small undertaking for a bunch of primitive Bedouin cavemen dwellers. It was an engineering masterpiece. Yet, to consider that men were able to communicate in written form for these great PhDs that come out of the great schools is a stretch of the imagination. To think that men evolved from apes would give great credence in understanding that early man was incapable of communication in written form. Can a monkey write? We reject the entire idea of evolution. But still, we have to ask, where did Moses get his information? The biblical doctrine of inspiration of Scripture is often a misconstrued concept. Now, for a lot of people, the majority sit in pews in any given church thinking of inspiration as a mystical intervention of God. The idea is that God literally dictated words to the authors of what is written. And often we read, the, the word of the Lord came to me saying, and God spoke in a dream or through inspiration. And in those instances, we do accept that God literally moved in a mysterious manner. However, much of the Bible was written from a first person perspective, meaning the author could say, I was there and I saw this. In Second Peter, we read, we, Peter's talking, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And also, authors were not lazy journalists writing things that they heard. They were not commentators expressing opinions like Sean Hannity or Tucker Carlson. A great deal of research was done. Highly intelligent men were used of God to provide you and me with an accurate account of information. And Moses was one of these men who God used. And as far as gathering information, you and me, we can quote various authors that we've read. And we can provide truthful and accurate information without compromising our convictions due to the fact that the information we've gathered is true. The authors we use may provide other information we can't support, but truth and fact will always remain. One man has said it's always best to eat the meat and spit out the bones. And while this may be a bit rustic and old-fashioned, it's a good thing to remember. In summation, we have to consider this. Moses used written information that he had gathered from others who had written. He used written information, proven oral tradition, and written documents from the patriarch to provide what we refer to as the book of Genesis. It's not an unusual approach to writing. And here in the book of Genesis, we have a true account of the origin of man. And here we have a true account of the origin of of reason. I want to thank you very much for joining us today, being with us in this study. Your participation is well appreciated, and I hope you receive something of benefit. Come back next week and be with us as we study again the origin of reason.